Welcome back to the Hockey House Pod, episode 127, presented by Optimex Sports. I'm your host, Mackenzie Murphy, bringing you the latest news around the ACHA and AAU college hockey world. We got Fitzy Collins joining me tonight. Should be an exciting episode. Very exciting weekend, honestly. Just looking at the submission forms and the DMs that we got over the weekend, it was one of those it was one of those weekends where you were like planning out what we were going to post, and there was just too many highlights. We couldn't even get to them all, so it'll be a fun week of posting some content from around the league it was great but we'll throw it over to collins first because he had another great weekend big win over canisius for the ice cats yeah i mean it was an absolute roller coaster of a weekend to say the least friday night did not get the result we wanted came out missing our best players he had to head up to vermont for a family affair got the 3-1 dub over Canisius, big 930 save percentage. So yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. And then the roller coaster of emotions kept going. And on Sunday, had to brutally watch my Ravens lose. It was unfortunate, but it was a great season nonetheless. I mean, the Chiefs are just so good. And they had Lamar's number the entire time, just kept firing with the spy and the blitz on defense. So I'm done with football for the year. I'm, I will not be paying close attention to the Super Bowl. I don't know if I can handle seeing Patrick Mahomes win another, not just Taylor Swift, Patrick Mahomes. I like that you led with Patrick Mahomes because I think that's a better take than than going anti-Taylor Swift. It was funny because Collins, I was chirping you via text this weekend because down at half, you got to throw out the classic like this is rigged. They want Taylor Swift to go to the Super Bowl for the ratings. You got to play that card and you, and you played it early on, but it was funny. I went to Sunday night pickup and I'm getting dressed in a locker room filled with like 40 and 50 year old guys. And they are just hammering the stereotypical like, I can't stand it. Why do they show her on TV? I hate her music. She's like, <laughs> I was like, they were just throwing every Taylor Swift old man stereotype out the window. And I, I just couldn't help but laugh. I'm not a Taylor Swift fan, but what she has done for the NFL is absolutely nuts. The NFL has every right to show her on their broadcast, even though it does get very, very sick at times. It's an upgrade from the last couple of seasons where they've cut away to Jackson Mahomes on the sidelines. So I, I'll take the Taylor Swift content any day of the week. But joining us back after a couple of weeks hiatus we have fitzy joining us how have things been down south good to be back boys it's been a hectic last few weeks we went to play peoria for three and three at their place we'd already played uh the week prior we played them two games at our place so it's five games in a row against peoria anyone who kind of like knows about their team it gets pretty hectic when we play them at their place some guys are, are calling themselves peoria war veterans um i was unable to escape without uh breaking a thumb got a cast on now that week at practice before breaking the thumb i took a, a puck to the mouth stuck two of my bottom teeth back in it's been a crazy little bit but we're past it now i'm out for i think i get this thing off they said february 12th so still a little bit of a ways to go it sucks but you know it could be worse if i got you know some sort of head injury or something so yeah i've been going through it I got to ask because my immediate thoughts are like, I know like guys in the Nall, we'll call it Vietnam because it's just like such a war. Do the guys in the SB have like funny nicknames for maybe some of the cities or is there a different acronym for SPHL? We haven't, I haven't heard anything about that. I mean, they talk about how crazy the league is because we only have one ref calling penalties. So you can get away with so much. There's guys that would like, when I showed up here, they're like, like, oh, you came from the Fed? Like, that's the jungle, man. Like, how do you how do you survive? And I'm like, now that I'm playing here for as long as I have, it's like, no, dude, like this is the jungle. The Fed was 
I was actually protected there with two refs. Here, it's anything goes. It, it's crazy. They, they had one guy just completely, I think I might have sent you guys a video, just sucker punches our guy off the draw. Gets two-game suspension. It's just like, you can't make this stuff up. The only thing I have heard is uh, Fayetteville. They call it Fayetteville there. But I think that's like a universal thing because I know my brother Ryan said with like the baseball team that's there, they said the same stuff. So that's all I've really heard for that kind of thing. That's crazy. I feel like a lot of hockey people don't know that, that the Fed has, a, I'm assuming, a four-man crew with two referees and two line. And then yeah, the SP yeah. three man crews. Yeah, even the coast goes three man crews. It's I don't know. You can get away with a lot when there's only one ref calling penalties. I wonder if the Fed made that change when they went from the FHL to the FPHL and they were trying to, you know, rebrand as not a joke of a league and more of like a skill league. That's probably been shown with the four-man crew they have now. Yeah. I, uh, the guy who reviews like penalties there or like suspension stuff, I think he was a either a former NHL ref or he was part of like the player safety thing. They got some... Some guy that knows what he's doing running it there, but it's crazy here in the SP. That's amazing. And then we got it. Have you had the chance to talk to your brother? Because he, we can talk hockey because he had a little crossover event. He's leaving Worcester. They gave him a basically the keys to the city on his way out, and he read the lineup for the Worcester Railers. And you can just tell like he's a hockey guy. Yeah, he's a professional baseball, but he just loves being in the locker room with the boys. He read the lineup for the Worcester Railers in the ECHL, went out and dropped the puck too. They, I actually saw him a clip of him playing sewer before the game too. <laughs> so he must have just been living it up yeah it was electric he had his his little speech ready it was a little herb brooks-esque uh coming out of him there and he said the boys were fired up i even saw him when he was coming to drop the ceremonial puck he ripped some smelling salts on his way out and he said the guys were just going nuts <laughs> uh that's awesome yeah it looked like a, a, a great time and uh quiet weekend for me I, I think we talked about it last episode my u8 team that i coached was supposed to play in an outdoor pond hockey tournament the tournament has been canceled the last two years because i think maybe even three years like covid was one year then the next year the ice conditions were not good it was too warm i think last year it was too windy so they couldn't have like six and seven year old kids out there when it's like below freezing temperatures and the wind blowing in their face and then this year they were good to go they had all the rinks cleared off to to play on saturday and then we got an email Friday morning, like we got dumped on rain Thursday night and it was still pretty cold, but it just ruined the ice. I mean, the pond was still frozen, but you, you couldn't skate on it. It was just brutal. So ended up having the day off, was able to to enjoy it. My girlfriend came up from Boston for the weekend. So we got to do a, a quiet weekend in North Conway, which was great. Plenty of ACHAAU action to go around. It was like I mentioned, crazy checking the DMs each morning and just seeing the amount of stuff that was going on and you want to talk jungles club hockey is still a jungle and always will be a jungle we got to start off here i don't even want before we go to the lead i'm sure you guys have seen the video at this point but we got a, a kid at merrimack doing the zamboni between periods in full gear one skate on one sneaker pushing the pedal to get that thing going and this is just an all-time acha clip fitzy like you want to talk jungle we got we got players in full gear doing the zam Crazy enough, it's not the first time I've seen it. I've, I've seen it happen live before at the Frank Southern Ice Arena. Our captain, Matt Herbst, back in the day, he had to, in between periods, I forget what happened, but I think he even had to fix the Samboni. Something was wrong with it, so he fixes it, and then, yeah, one skate hops up and starts driving it around, but you can't make that stuff up. Yeah, all-time clip. It was Nick Spadorsha from Merrimack College in ACHA M2. Looking at his stats right now, he's got... 15 games played, two assists on the year. So clearly a locker room guy, a glue guy, all-time glue guy move, getting on the Zam and doing it between periods. Collins, I mean, I can't imagine you've seen anything like this before. 
No, I haven't. I got to see. Uh, we got to add sheets resurfaced to the uh, stat sheet. I don't know how many there is, but if this is a uh, every game kind of thing, this would be that's just straight glue. Doesn't get grittier than that. We got to show too that the power of the internet was me waking up to a text from my sister this morning because Nick's older brother went to Stonehill where Hockey House Pot intern Grace Murphy goes to and she had seen a tweet from Nick's brother that basically said like my brother plays ACHA hockey and he's doing the Zamboni woke up checked the the message from my sister and standard like two retweets maybe seven likes on it and I was like oh like I'll have to go back and retweet this later today and then we had a clip go out this morning and then followed it up with the clip of him doing the Zam and the tweet over it and then I'm looking at my phone and like it hasn't even been an hour yet and this thing already has 3,000 likes and I'm like oh my goodness and then you know you blink and it's on chiclets br open ice bar downs posting it it's just crazy like that's the internet right like all it takes is one one account to get their hands on it and then i went back and looked at the tweet tonight and it's got like 500 retweets like thousands and thousands of likes so love to see glue guys getting the credit that they deserve sounds like a routine event for the boys at merrimack but spud getting it done for him so i want to give him a shout out there that was kind of the biggest news today in the acha world and and we love to see it but the lead this weekend was down at the crosstown classic in cincinnati the Cincinnati taking on Xavier Friday night. We had Cincinnati. They beat Xavier two to one in front of a packed house at the Queen City Sports Plex. They had a football player come and drop the puck. Place was banging, rowdy crowd, tight two one victory for the Bearcats. But then in the Hockey House Pod game of the week, it was Xavier bouncing back with a five two win downtown at the Heritage Bank Center, home of the Cincinnati Cyclones in the annual Crosstown Faceoff. Since he jumped out to a one nothing lead. And then it was Xavier basically rolling with the punches at that point. They go down one nothing. They bounce back with a bunch of goals. They end up winning five to two with an empty netter. I believe if the ACHA website is correct, this is their third win of the season. I think we did a lot of dogging on the boys ahead of this one. We talked about it. You know, what's the better game Friday night, Cincinnati, or is it going to be downtown? We put the game of the week at the bank and the boys just made us look silly. I mean, the whole crew was going for Cincinnati on that one. I know it's been a tough year for them, too. But, Collins, how shocked were you when the, when the tweet went through that the final score in this one was 5-2? I was I was pretty shocked. I was expecting maybe a, a closer game than 5-2, especially after the 2-1 uh, result the night before. So, shocker. You know, you win some, you lose some. Sometimes it's all five of us losing, and it happens. Not that you salvage the season when you've had a, a, as tough a year as those two teams, but, like, just a huge morale boost when you get a big win like that. Winning the second game of the weekend is always so much better than winning the first game of the weekend. It, it almost erases anything that happens on Friday night. A terrible season can, you know, kind of be, you know, whipped cream on shit if you, uh, you beat your rival so that's one way to put it we got a, uh, a couple of talking points to get to where it's crazy season is coming down when, when i get to a couple of these bullet points you guys are gonna be surprised like some teams only have like one or two regular season games left which is just crazy want to start things off we had a little mayhem in mandan talking mandan north dakota number 10 you marry defeats number one minot state five to three in their fifth of six meetings this season the teams will play once more on february 22nd in Minot. Minot currently leads that season series four to one. It's the first time you Mary has beaten them since they handed the Beavers their first loss last season. Remember, Minot State was undefeated, and then it was M2 at the time. You Mary knocking off the Beavers with a 
controversial late goal that got disallowed and then you Mary ended up winning that one but talking about you know playing as somebody multiple times throughout the year they will play Jamestown six times as well they bounce back with a home sweep over number four Jamestown with three nothing and three two wins Minot currently leads that season series four to two the teams will meet two more times they'll play each other eight times Jamestown has a chance to even up the series at four four heading into the postseason but they will do a home and home once more um, in Jamestown and mine not to close up the year. But Fitzy, I, I want to get your thoughts on this because you're seeing a lot now in the SP. Like, what is that like when you you play a team that many times in a year? Is it just like, you know that it's either going to be like, you know exactly what to expect or because you play them so often, you know anything can happen? I think it turns into like a like a little playoff series and kind of like an added uh, little something extra to it at least that's been my experiences it kind of like starts out as a regular regular series like the first few games or whatever but once it gets going like people remember remember stuff and as guys like to say like receipts need to be paid and stuff can get you know a little chippy that's pretty cool I, playing against the same team over and over again like that eight freaking games i mean jeez <laughs> if uh, indiana was playing you know like louisville eight times a year like that would be unreal indiana kentucky that'd be unreal I think it's cool. I wish I was a part of something like that when I was in college. Well, I was going to just ask you the same thing. Like, was there ever a team when you were at IU where you were like, geez, we're playing these guys again? It's funny you say that because since he was one of those teams uh, back in the day, <laughs> they were they were a wagon. They had some really good guys. I remember they'd go and play in like Russia at the end of the year for some sort of overseas tournament and a bunch of Cincy guys would be over there playing so yeah since he since he was nasty back in back in the day Collins is there a team in your time at, at Nova you're like wow we're, we're already playing these guys again or is your schedule pretty spread out ours is pretty spread out I think the team we play the most would be I mean it, the game got canceled this year because of uh weather but it would have been Lehigh at three games yeah I mean I could not imagine playing Lehigh eight times or any other team eight times for that matter. I would get pretty sick of it fast. I'm trying to think of a, a team that my freshman year, it was you played every team in the Eshel four times, the ESCHL, and then they changed it. Last year was the first year you played two league games against everybody but a couple times you would play teams four times usually it was pretty spread out but for me it was always stony brook and not that we played stony brook more than anybody else but they were always killing us and it just felt like those games took forever too they were just like so long to play in and we always played them to start the year and we usually played them closer to the end of the second semester so when you play a team four times in one semester let alone a season and they're kicking your ass like those that makes for tough games so that was like one for me where i'd be like oh geez we gotta play these guys again yeah i want to talk about stony brook they're having a tough time they were up two to one i think after two with liberty this weekend on long island liberty ended up getting the sweep of that one so there's a little news plug in there but one team i wanted to highlight this week i highlighted bridgewater state on the last episode i want to talk about msu denver metropolitan state university at denver they had another big weekend sweep they went three and on the weekend trip to Utah, they got wins over Weber State, Utah State, and Utah Valley, outscoring their opponents by a score of 10 to 2 over the, the three-game weekend. They have not lost since their semester opener, a 2-0 exhibition loss to you, Mary. I mean, talking about 
uh, how good of a year you Mary's having an M1. They just beat the number one team in the country last week. And MSU Denver gave them a run for their money to start off the semester. So that is a team that's been hot. They actually jumped up from number six in ACHA M2 West to number two in the last ranking. So they are trying to end the year on a high note. And we're counting down the days because in M2, you want to finish in the top two spots in your region so that you don't have to go to regionals. You can get an auto bid to nationals. The Roadrunners are sitting in that number two spot and they only have one more regular season game to go they are going to wrap up the regular season with a crosstown matchup this weekend against the university of denver before they head into playoffs so crazy we're already getting to that time of year and, and fitz you probably know better than collins and i would know but the m2 season wraps up very quickly because they have to do the conference playoffs they have to do the regionals and go through all that stuff all that before nationals so you know you're doing your senior nights in early january and you're wrapping up the season in february yeah we kind of uh got screwed on that i think it was my freshman year we weren't in the TSCHL yet. We had a slate scheduled with Illinois. I don't know how we messed this up, but our by the time we played Illinois, the it wouldn't help bake into the rankings. So like we were right on the edge, 13 trying to get to 12 outside looking in probably would have still got bounced with conference tournament winners but I know all too well about how that goes yeah it's like it's a tale as old as time too because then there's some leagues where it's like you know it happened before I got to Syracuse but they were like right on the bubble going to nationals and then they go to the conference playoffs and they beat Liberty and Stony Brook who are like top 10 teams at that point but the conference playoffs are like after the window where the rankings matter so like they beat two of the best teams in the country and they didn't even get to go to nationals that year because that's just how it works out so yeah you got to schedule those big games early on in the season because then they they lean into the rankings a little bit more but another team to watch out for in ACHAM2 though is Drury University the Panthers got a huge weekend split against number one Lindenwood they were sitting at number 15 in the ACHAM2 Central heading into the weekend and the Panthers fell 5-3 to the Lions on Saturday night at Centene and then on Sunday afternoon it was sophomore netminder Grayson Skirpin who backstopped Drury to a 4-1 upset win over the number one team in the country I believe the number one team in the region but I believe they're still the number one team in the country he stopped 53 of 54 shots faced two solid weekends in a row for the Panthers they split against number four Iowa a couple of weekends ago and then they're sitting on the bubble too so I haven't even looked at their schedule that probably worth mentioning too Fitzy because you talk about like what do they have the rest of the way that could maybe get them in but they have the opposite issue they're not trying to get a top two spot to avoid regionals they're trying to get into that top 10 spot so that they can even be at regionals and make some noise there because they're currently sitting at 15. I would imagine they probably go up in the rankings after beating the number one team in the region. Again, this late in the year, I'm not really sure how much that shoots you up because it seems like earlier in the year those games are more important like just we talked about but jury sitting at 12 and 8 they will play maryville twice and then they close out the season with two games against arkansas who is acha m3 so those won't even count towards the rankings because it's an exhibition so two very important games in chesterfield missouri for the jury panthers coming up but a team that's red hot and a team that if they do get to regionals they could be like the florida panthers that's that's an nhl analogy like that was a team that you know as a bruins fan i didn't want to play the panthers in the first round that was like the hottest team in the league at that point and then you saw what happened there they go all the way on a run to the stanley cup final but that is uh acha m2 one of the most exciting playoffs in all of sports i'll throw that out there yeah acha m2 you got to go you got to get to regionals you got to win regionals then you got to win pool play it is the the toughest trophy in sports john boys says march madness is the loser machine the entire acha m2 process from regionals to the national champion is the loser machine totally agree 
Let's get John Boy to break down ACHA M2. Get him on the pod. We had a, a crazy upset. I am going to call this the biggest upset of the season. And I think if you hadn't been paying attention and you saw these two names next to each other, you wouldn't think it's that big of a deal. But let me walk you through it. Georgia Tech upsets South Carolina on Saturday night. Like I said, might be one of the biggest upsets of the season. The number 34 ranked team in AAUD2 beat the number five team in AAU D1. South Carolina wins Friday night, 8-5 barn burner. Probably a closer game than that should be to begin with. Georgia Tech responds. They get the split with a 4-2 win on Saturday to improve to 4-14-1. Checking the College Hockey South standings, they likely won't make the playoffs in D2. And they probably won't make the conference playoffs in D2 College Hockey South. Meanwhile, South Carolina sitting at number five in AAU D1 in contention for the national championship later this season. The last win for Georgia Tech came back on October 27th against Tennessee, a 4-1 to victory for the Yellow Jackets. An insane upset. They took down South Carolina on Saturday night, 4-2, to like we mentioned, but huge win for them. Had the opportunity to see this team play at the Savannah Classic. They battled hard. They didn't really have the depth that some of those other teams had. I mean, they're fired up about this. We're gonna, they're doing a jersey sale right now. They have special 50th anniversary jerseys, so we're gonna plug them and, and hopefully get some jersey sales this week to, to build off the momentum from a big win, but Collins, we want to talk about teams that have had bad years and getting momentum at the end of the year. Like, Georgia Tech's gotta be in that conversation with Xavier. Oh, 100%. Gorms, we got to check in on him i don't think he's doing too hot right now after that so always fired up to see a, a georgia tech win those threads are awesome but always sucks when uh when a good friend is is in the dumps we want to talk aau some noteworthy news is they did officially announce the aau all-star challenge which i think we talked about a couple months ago when when i went on the overtime pod earlier in the year and, and they broke that news that they were doing an all-star challenge but that'll be april 12th through the 14th each team in aau is bringing their best players, so College Hockey South, Empire, UNYCHL, the NEIHC, the ACCHL, and the Delaware Valley Conference. Everybody's putting together a team with their best players, D1, D2, D3, it doesn't matter. Best players on each team, they're going to go down to Fort Lauderdale, of all places, and it's going to be a weekend-long tournament. Verbero is going to make custom jerseys for each team. I think the conferences are designing jerseys. This is really cool to see. I was joking with a friend of the pod and, and former South Carolina player, Ben Smith, that if they had this back when he played, he probably would have put up record numbers to get a trip to Fort Lauderdale at the end of the year, which I think is a cool reward for these guys. I hope to see a lot of seniors there down there, you know, who can kind of go and reflect on their time in college hockey and, and end it on a high note there. But Fitzy, I mean, I can't imagine battling at IU back in the day. And then, you know, as spring is coming around the corner, you find out you're going to the all-star game and, and you're going to Fort Lauderdale. Oh, that'd be electric, especially because we were always pretty much out of it at that point. We were trying to get in and always the on the outside looking in, but no, that'd, that'd be a lot of fun. I, I can confirm that it, the skills competition at this one will not have the winner bringing home a million dollars like the NHL one will this weekend, which I'm excited for. I know it's not ACHA or AAU college hockey, but the NHL All-Star Skills Competition is going to be must-watch hockey this year because they're doing the 12 best players, and instead of having one player from each team do one event, 
They are doing the 12 best players are all competing for a million dollars and they're going to do all the events. There's going to be like a first round, a second round, and then I think a final. And I mean, that's going to be crazy. You know, you got the Hughes brothers in there. You got Pasternak, Dreisaitl, McDavid. Like that is going to be so sick to watch. I don't know if you guys saw. I think it's going to make it must watch. I think. I feel like the last couple of years, it's been just cringy watching the skills competition. Would you agree, Collins? I would agree 100%. The skills competition went downhill as soon as they removed the shootout judging. That was peak all-star competition when you had P.K. Subban out there dressed as uh, Yager or Brent Burns as uh, Chewbacca. Like That was the best because the players got to showcase their personality and then it all got shut down because the NHL was like, oh, this isn't really showcasing skill. That's what made it fun to watch. And hopefully this year we get to see some real competition, though, with the money incentive. And I saw Nathan McKinnon will be giving $100,000 to the rest of the decor in uh, Colorado if he wins the million dollars. I think McCarr and McKinnon are both in it. So they asked Bo oh, yeah. Byram, they said, who do you want to win? And he said, well, I want McCarr to win because he said he would give everyone on the decor $100,000. Oh, it was McCarr. My bad. I just saw the quote. No, no, no. I, I had to go double. I think like Colorado has two guys. You got two Hughes brothers. I think Vancouver has three guys in it. So it, it should be very exciting to see. And, and I'm looking forward to watching that. But a couple more newsworthy events around the league before we we break for our interview fists were flying in the first state that's what i'm going with this headline great weekend series between delaware and Pitt. talked about delaware a little bit last pod but a team to watch out for as the season comes down to the wire they got a big weekend split at home this weekend a six to five overtime victory against Pitt on friday night it was alumni weekend the place was buzzing and then a very close game down to the wire one goal game late Pitt's leading and just a good old-fashioned scrap like a, a college hockey series coming to a close two teams that battled really hard not necessarily rivals in the ESCHL but really good to see this I just love it's just like it's classic college hockey when you got two teams it's been a long weekend and then a scrum at the end of the last game and punches were flying we, were, we had a goalie in there Leslie from Pitt the, the Pitt goalie was in the mix there I think he got like tackled in there so a good old-fashioned college hockey weekend and then let's see a couple more things we had Coastal splitting with App State a lot of hatred in that one as well saw some clips from there TCU want to give a shout out to those boys they clinched the second seed in the TCHD playoffs that is their highest ranking in program history so we want to make sure we give them some love and then we had Ohio State this is one of our games to watch last weekend they swept Michigan in ACHA M2 play 5-1 and 3-2 victories we also had I don't know if you guys caught the clip we posted a, a highlight from the it was the WMCHL all-star game which is one of the better women's hockey conferences they actually did I think they did a showcase at Maryville so they had all the teams there for the weekend playing and then they did an all-star game in front of everyone so you had like the Lindenwood girls there the McKendry girls there the Jamestown girls the Minnesota I'm missing a couple Liberty was there Minot State was there all of their best players on the ice and then the rest of the players are in the stands so it was a packed house all the teams there supporting their teammates and then we just had a disgusting goal from loki antonio of lindenwood friend of the pod maddie glenn uh, defenseman for liberty fires the puck up big stretch pass low scoring game for an all-star game though it was like two to one halfway through this one made it two to one and just a datsuk like toe drag past the jamestown goalie so cool to see I, I wish more conferences did that because i think i think an all-star game is tough logistically because it's a lot of travel for teams but for them to do a, a showcase where teams play each other while they're down there and then the best players from each team play each other in an all-star game that was really cool to see in the theme of all-star weekend we, we got to mention that one Fitzy this is right up your alley electric guitar national anthem at Kent State 
Yeah, that, that was sick. I love an electric guitar national anthem. Unreal. Uh, not only electric guitar national anthem, but it was a player doing it. So we got to give a shout out to Kyle Holmes, who did the his rendition of the Star Spangled Banner on the electric guitar before a sold out crowd between Kent State and Robert Morris. You know, another crazy clip from the weekend. We got to give stick taps to Ted Pryor from Western Washington University. It was senior night. He's the captain of the team. He gets called out. He's going. It looks like he's bringing flowers over to his dad and just toe picks onto the carpet. Big wipeout carpet everywhere flowers everywhere looks like dad got knocked over too we had to mention he ended up scoring the first goal of the game so talk about getting your jitters out there i don't know if you guys have ever seen any senior night mishaps like that one but fitzy this was just i i felt so bad but when i found out that he scored the first goal of the game and they ended up winning too i'm sure everyone's laughing about it now i think we're gonna pin that one on whoever set the carpet up because he he steps on the car like he slows up he steps on the carpet and there's just no traction it just gives out underneath him so i i don't know if we can put that one on him i Whoever set up the carpet, I'd be I'd be looking at them. Maybe you got to get the carpet down while the ice is still wet. You can't let the ice settle and then put the carpet down. I, and I've logistically speaking never put a carpet down on ice before, so I don't know what the do's and don'ts of that are. But Collins, you got you got anything that maybe could have helped avoid that situation? I got nothing. I just saw that and I was like, well, that's one thing to avoid on February 9th think about it every time too since high school when i was you know on the line the announcement name announcements and i was just like don't fall don't fall don't fall and luckily i've never fa- fallen but yeah that's uh up there in in the worst nightmares list yeah and, and every year the carpets take out the hockey players you know and i know we got to put the carpets out there because the people who don't have skates need something to step on and it would be a lot worse to see somebody not wearing hockey equipment slip and fall on the ice than have the guys wearing equipment slip and fall on the ice i mean i I, that was one thing on my senior night i was like once they had all the families standing on the carpet and you went and took the picture thankfully i was the last one to go out there so everybody was already lined up on the carpet you you go nice and slow take a nice little step onto the carpet take the picture everybody's happy there just a little too much momentum i think from our guy ted here going into this one i want to give him some love and some stick taps for tucking one home on senior night that's everything for this week in the news around the league we'll toss it over to our interview this one brought to you by optimex sports optimex sports rides teams the opportunity to build and manage their own website and the best part is these guys know club hockey we talked a lot about iu john schubauer from optimex he played at iu he understands everything that goes into being a successful club hockey team whether it's the acha or the aau be sure to check them out using the link in our bio if you're interested in signing up be sure to use our referral link at optimexsports.com slash sign up slash hockey house pod once again that's optimexsports.com slash sign up slash hockey house pod without further ado we'll turn it over to this week's interview ladies and gentlemen we have a very very important guest this week, a very special guest, a longtime listener, first time caller on the show, our friend Embry Riddle hockey legend Kyle Usiak. Kyle, thanks for joining the show. Happy to be here. Uh, like you said, been a listener since day one. Listening when I was flight training at Embry Riddle, would throw you guys on uh, on my headset and listen. Happy to be here. You must have sent us a DM a while ago that you were listening to the podcast while flight training. I, my brain couldn't even process that until we went down to Embry Riddle earlier this year and we got to see what it was all about. But a crazy place to play college hockey. Yeah, 100%. Like when you guys came down, we were so happy that you guys got to come down for the home opener. Every single year, the home opener is probably like the number one 
one game to go to out of all the Embry Riddle games. Everyone shows up. We get a ton of support from Greek Life, ton of support from administration. And so you guys were there on a night where it's packed, you know, 850, 900 deep. Yeah, it was insane. We really didn't know what to expect. I mean, we saw the video from the year prior when they beat Florida in overtime and that place looked electric. It looked like lights were going to come falling from the ceiling like we've seen before. Unreal environment. And not only that, but like it would have been a successful trip if we had experienced everything we did at the Daytona Ice Arena. But aside from that, like campus and the flight trainings that you guys do, like seeing all of that too was just as cool as the hockey. Like there's no place like Embry Riddle. 100%. Uh, and it's a crazy school in the sense of like Coach Bob likes to call it almost like it's almost a trade, like learning how to fly at Embry Riddle because, you know, it's a specific job training. It's definitely uh, an interesting campus in the sense of you're on the Daytona airport. You know, you've got 100 airplanes in your backyard. You're walking to your flights from your dorm. You're flight training for something that is going to be very useful in the aviation industry, very applicable to your job. Stuff you learn at day one at Embry Riddle, you're taking all the way with you till you retire when you're 65 at an airline. So, it's really, really applicable and practical training that you get in college at Embry-Riddle. So it's like I said, it's an amazing place to uh, go to school. Have you known for a while that you wanted to be a pilot? Like, were you going to airports as a kid and you were like, that looks sick. Like, I want to be a pilot. And then when did you find out that that's what you wanted to do? And then when did you find out about Embry-Riddle? Honestly, yeah. Ever since growing up, I kind of, you know, was into like model airplanes, you know, building them and put them out on the carpet when I was like five years old. And my parents would step on them and get really angry with me. And so it's really come full circle in a sense. I just finished airline training about a week ago. So it's pretty cool. But I definitely um, have been, I wanted to be a pilot my whole life. Loved enjoying traveling growing up. Only not till about my junior high school did I find out about Embry-Riddle. I knew I wanted to go to college somewhere and I didn't know if flight training was possible while going to college. I always thought you had to go military or some route. When I was going through kind of colleges and where to go, my college advisor in in high school was like, hey, have you heard of Embry-Riddle or the University of North Dakota or you know, Liberty. And it's like, oh, I didn't even know you could go to school and also play club hockey and fly at the same time. I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is kind of a non-traditional hockey market. In 2008, the Central Hockey League team, the New Mexico Scorpions, folded. And so we didn't really have a hockey team to look up to in Albuquerque, except the team that played for UNM, University of New Mexico. And University of New Mexico, as you guys have seen and you guys have covered, they have incredible support from the community. Albuquerque is really one big college town centered around the University of New Mexico. I grew up going to those games. That was the hockey I looked up to. It was club hockey. It was the ACHA and it was like, oh wow, the, this is the this is the big stage I want to play on when I, you know, when I get to college. I always knew, you know, like growing up playing single A, B, even B hockey in New Mexico, you know, whoever showed up to tryouts for the travel team made the team. It was, you know, 15 guys showed up. Oh, yep. All right. That's the team we're taking in October to the Halloween tournament and starting the, starting the year off. I know a lot of those guys in the UNM team too, and they work really hard and they get a really good, they get really good support from the community. And so that's what I looked up to growing up. And so when I was looking at colleges, I was like, I want to go to school for aviation, but I also want to continue playing hockey. And so when I looked up Embry-Riddle, they were established on campus for sure, but they didn't really have a presence outside of campus. You know, looking for the website, looking for people to contact is kind of hard, but Bob and and Ken had just taken over the team and Ken's the head of the flight department. Bob is the director of safety. It was really cool how those two things were intertwined and it really made a huge impact on where I decided to go to school. Yeah, let's talk about those two guys while, while we're on the subject. You know, former NHLer Bob Joyce and then you have Ken Burns, who's the head of the, the flight program. You, you can't pick two better guys to be in charge of the hockey program and the job that they've done over the last couple of years to revamp things. And, you know, now Embry-Riddle has two teams and a force in college hockey south. 
both. Yeah, 100%. So the, the team kind of was established back in like 1998. They had had a big following on campus. Some years they play in the local men's league when the team kind of would would take, you know, maybe the administration wasn't supporting them enough. And even back in the early 2000s, late 2000s, they had a really good presence. And I think it was actually called some like Collegiate Hockey South. I've talked to a lot of the alumni about it, but they would play, you know, the big schools, USF, UCF, they play Auburn, your Georgias. Uh, it was really cool listening to them and explaining of how the team kind of got its roots settled. And then so finally in 2015, the team had kind of taken a year off. Uh, the Daytona Ice Arena had shut down actually when the team took off. So the, the team really supports the rink in that sense too. And so finally, the, the renewers of the rink, Riddle Hockey was revamped. They asked Bob to coach because um, he had been at the school for a while, but hadn't coached. He played for the Solar Bears and he started his flight training in Orlando and then found his way to Embry-Riddle, um, moved his way up. Ken had always been a lifelong hockey fan. He grew up in uh, Long Island and was a huge New York uh, Rangers fan. And so the team approached Ken and was like, hey, do you want to help run the team? And then I came in in 2017. So there was their second year or second or third year. I'm not sure of them uh, running the team. And they really took it from that club mentality to a team mentality where, you know, we establish the roots, we have recruiting efforts, little stuff like organized team dinners, organizing road trips and stuff like that, and being on a bus together that really molds the team and keeps them together. And so those two guys like do an incredible job of doing that. And now Ken runs both D2 and D3. So I can't believe with what he does with on his plate with everything. And so I would do anything for those two guys. They really made the experience just absolutely incredible at Embry-Riddle. Yeah, it was awesome. We were so fortunate enough that Ken was able to tour us around. We sat down, we talked to Bob for like an hour and just talked hockey. You know, as a kid who grew up in New England, my dad used to show me those old tapes of the, the 90s Bruins. And of course, he's in all of them, right? And so getting to sit down with him and such a humble guy too, and just like his crazy journey of just like pro hockey took him to Florida. It was when he was in Florida that he started his flight training and, you know, ends up loving his job at Embry-Riddle and then come to find out, hey, they need someone to coach the hockey team here. And, and he was the perfect guy for the job. But let's go back to New Mexico. Like, what is it like playing youth hockey in New Mexico? Like, how far are you driving? You going to Arizona for tournaments? You flying at all? My dad's from Buffalo, New York, originally. And so he moved to Albuquerque, started family. Basically, I grew up playing roller hockey to start in my backyard on the concrete in my driveway and stuff. And so grew up doing that, then kind of switched to ice when I was eight or nine years old. Played like single A, B hockey my entire life. It was a lot of trips to Denver, probably Denver once a month. Phoenix once a month. Sometimes if we were lucky, we'd go out to Dallas, uh, Oklahoma City, Vegas even. Sometimes you fly, but most of the times you're driving. It's funny, Bob was my first ever coach that actually had prior hockey experience. In New Mexico, it's a lot of volunteers, you know, who played, you know, one of our coaches played Division One soccer. One of our coaches was an army drill sergeant. It's really interesting playing there. There's only three full-time rinks. There's two in Albuquerque, one in Santa Fe, and then you've got two outdoor rinks. There's one completely outdoors in Los Alamos, which you've seen from the nuclear shootout. UNM does a really good job of organizing that. And then there's one in Taos, New Mexico. A lot of skiers who listen will probably know about Taos. It's a huge ski town. Um, and they've got like a half outdoor, half indoor where they have like two walls um, that are lookout towards the mountains. It's really beautiful. But it's funny, I when, it, when you go up and play high school in New Mexico, Albuquerque has two teams, one for the west side of town, one for the east side of town. And basically you've got like 10 schools coming together to make a team. You know, you got one or two people from each school making the team up. And then uh, you've got Taos, Los Alamos, and Santa Fe have a team, but there's actually more teams from outside of New Mexico than actually inside New Mexico in the high school league there. You've got Telluride, Durango, Colorado play in our league, and then also Odessa, Texas, 
Amarillo, Texas, and then there were two teams in El Paso. It was really more of like a regional championship when you played in states. Um, it wasn't really a state championship. It was in a sense for us when I was lucky enough to win my junior and senior years. But, you know, you, you say you won state, but in reality, you won like almost the Southwest region. And so it was really fun growing up and, you know, making a lot of friends. Like you you start with guys when you're eight years old and you're graduating together as seniors and you've played together that entire time. And so it's a really small community. The Null team, the the New Mexico Ice Wolves, they, they started once I left and went to Florida, but it seems like they're doing a really good job of connecting with the community and starting uh, that hockey craze again like they had back in the early 2000s with the New Mexico Scorpions. And so it's for me, at least as as a resident of New Mexico, it was really cool to see them reach out to the community and, and build that hockey culture up again. When it's all said and done, I'm going to need a 30 for 30 documentary about the Null South because those teams down there are <laughs> wild. I know the New Mexico team has actually won that division maybe a couple times already since their existence. But I mean, that is crazy. Like you talked about, I mean, you're rattling off Null cities that you were playing high school hockey in El Paso, Odessa, Albuquerque. Like it is crazy how much hockey has grown down there 100 percent. yeah it's funny the the odessa is a great null city like they they have a really good uh community outreach i'm pretty sure hellybuck spent some time there playing goalie for them and so you know it's it's really cool to see the null south and kind of what they're doing and you know maybe one day you know you're gonna see new mexico ice wolf players going to play for university of new mexico hopefully that'd be a really cool pipeline to see um and really build that program up there's plenty of crazy things that happen in the null south but there's also plenty of crazy things that happen in the daytona ice arena and you mentioned that that rink got revamped around 2015 and gorgeous bar behind the net and it just makes for a, a wild environment to play college hockey and what what was kind of your first memory of the Daytona Ice Arena? <laughs> I guess you can call it my welcome to the Ocho moment. I came in freshman year, 20, fall of 2017, spent about a week at school going through orientation, getting in our first classes, you know, your first college classes under your belt. And all of a sudden, um, my roommate at the time, Ryan Knapp, is a, 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 a meteorology major. And he comes up to me, he goes, dude, you see what's happening out like in the Caribbean? I'm like, no, he's like, there's a there's a hurricane. And it's coming for us. And I'm like, oh boy. Being from New Mexico, I've never dealt with anything. Like I, I've barely seen it rain, right? And so I'm like, oh wow, this is serious. Like, what are we going to do? And he's from Fort Myers. And so he's like, oh dude, like we'll be fine. Like we'll just get some days off from school and then we'll come back. And it's like, okay, cool. So Hurricane Irma is like barreling down on Daytona or not Daytona, but Florida. And it's going to come right up the middle of Florida. And we're like, oh great. So they give us school off. And our first weekend of games is the weekend after that second week of school when we have the school off. And we're like, oh, God, I don't know if we're going to like get these games in. So the hurricane passes, the rink lost power, kind of lost some ice. They're trying to rebuild the ice back. And I think it's like Thursday night or Friday morning. We're supposed to play University of Tampa at our home opener. We're looking at the ice and we're like, oh, boy, I don't. this looks really thin. And so we get out there. Uh, it's the first period, first college shifts for a lot of us. We had a huge freshman class. And so we're playing and we get about 14 minutes in and we're already down four nothing. It's like, oh God, just like stop the bleeding. Thankfully, we're skating by and our captain kind of trips on something. And we're like, uh-oh. And we look down and one of the curling circles is just coming up from under the ice. And we're like, oh no, we can't play with this. And so we ended up canceling the game about five, six minutes in. Uh, we get off the ice. Uh, we go to the locker room, get undressed. And so we're supposed to play in Tampa the next day. And so we play in Tampa the next day, get beat like eight to one. The ice in Daytona was still kind of struggling. And so we come back the next weekend, basically like the ice is just just terrible and we end up having to I think we canceled two more games or something and it just like it was like wow this is club hockey like I'd never like I grew up in New Mexico 
for 18 years, I never had a situation where the ice was bad. And you think more like in New Mexico, that would be a problem. But it was funny to see like, and hurricanes affected us every single year after that. There was at least a week of games where we just got canceled just because hurricanes would roll through. Now, had you guys been practicing in that week or was like, we're not even going to practice. The ice is so bad. Like, we're just going to hope that it's ready by game time. We had tryouts for sure before the hurricane hit, which was nice. And so we got that out of the way. We had a team and it's funny, the tryouts, you know, you show up and there's guys from like, like Ryan Marks, Turner Kaufman, those guys who I grew, uh, played with, they came from like double A, triple A hockey in Philadelphia. We had a guy named Spencer Kuhlman who played in the NAL. And so it was like in the USHL. And it was like a, just a kind of a hodgepodge of experience. It was like we even had guys at tryouts who were holding on to the boards. Like it was kind of crazy. I thought I, I saw these guys show up and I was like, oh, my God, the hockey backgrounds here are are just diverse like I don't know if I'll make the team or I'm gonna be first line like I have no idea what to expect it's kind of funny we had those first week of practices and the hurricane hit and then I think we came back and we, we tried to practice but I, I my memory is kind of fuzzy about it because you know freshman year you're kind of just going with the flow it's something new every hour so I think we got some practices in but we kind of were sketched out like oh I don't know if this ice is gonna be ready and that is just a, a crazy environment the, the fans are in the bleachers but the bleachers are way above the ice there have been some times where you're way over fire code there like is that just because you know Embry Riddle is maybe a smaller school a smaller tight-knit community and that people are willing to come out and support the club hockey team 100 I think uh the fact that Embry Riddle doesn't have a football team kind of helps us we're kind of the football team in quotations on campus in sense of the biggest sport on campus is definitely us we pack the barn people are always asking us around campus like hey how'd you guys do what's the when's the game this week what's gonna happen and so uh it, it really is a tight-knit community and it's really awesome and the school recruits heavily uh, for students out of the Northeast. And so a lot of kids grow up going to their high school hockey games or, you know, even playing. And then they, they come here and they're like, Oh, there's hockey here. Like I'm definitely going to come out to the game and watch. And so there's a lot of really good hockey fans. And that was something new for me, not only playing for the school that I went to for the first time, but also having, you know, people who went to the school and, and knew the game really well. And so it was really fun. And it's really awesome to see the support that the fans give us. And there's plenty of stories I can go into about some of the some of the interactions that fans have had with either opposing fans or opposing teams. And it's just like you said, it's it's just a it's a barn. It's a circus almost. And it's just so much fun. And those bleachers are, you know, right on top of the locker rooms. Opposing teams walk out of the locker room and immediately are greeted by, you know, just the very generous and kind NBA real fans <laughs> but I've definitely seen some beers get poured on people. You know, they'll, they'll have the 16 ounce cans and they'll just start chucking them at people and you know it's just it's a rambunctious atmosphere and it's it's so I can't even like say like how thankful I was to play in front of you know 900 of my closest friends well you mentioned like school heavily recruiting kids from the northeast you know it's going to be a good hockey game where there's a student in the crowd wearing a Tim Thomas Bruins jersey that just means they mean business but who, like what team would get it the worst when they came to Daytona to play you guys like what team I know Florida is a bigger rivalry nowadays but like what team in your memory, got it the worst when they came and played you guys? When we were our freshman year, we played in the East Florida Collegiate Hockey Conference, and it, we played for the Sodexo Cup. And if you're a college student and you have Sodexo on your campus, you know what that is. Um, it's a catering company, and they decided to sponsor the cup, and it was really fun. We would play against uh, FIT, Florida Institute of Technology. They also have a flight program. So there was a pretty big rivalry there, and then Flagler College in St. Augustine had a team, and they actually shared the Daytona Ice Arena when they had a team, and that was a big rivalry for us. And so a lot of fans would show up there 
and a lot of their fans would show up too. And uh, I remember one time a Flagler fan uh, was arguing with some Ember Riddle fans at the championship game. We look up and we just see someone grab a fire extinguisher off the wall and start chucking it at Ember Riddle fans. And like, it was just mayhem. Once we moved to the SCHC my sophomore year, uh, we were playing the bigger schools like UCF, USF, Tampa. I'd say the biggest rivalries right now for the team are are UCF because they're right down I-4. Also Tampa. We just had a lot of really close games my junior and my fifth year with Tampa. I'm really good friends with Nick Kozlik, who's the head coach of the D1 team. And he was always telling me like, you know, Ember-Riddle and Tampa was always a really good matchup for both of us because we could really see how well our teams would play against each other. And that would give us a really good uh, dynamic on how the season was going to go for both of us. So I'd say UCF, Tampa, uh, when Florida Gulf Coast was playing us, we definitely had a really good rivalry with Florida Gulf Coast D3 team. We can get more into that. We had a lot of upset wins against them, and that was really fun to play against them as well. Well, it was it was fun. I mean, it does not get more club hockey than the Sodexo Cup. That, that is just the, the greatest thing. <laughs> of all time and i think when we when we sat down and interviewed bob he had it in the background i think we asked oh what's that trophy and he goes you're never going to believe this story he was like you know we we wanted to play flagler and we needed a trophy for it and so i went to the dining hall people and they were like yeah like sodexo will sponsor it and that is just like it, it does not get better than that but let's talk about like you mentioned uh florida gulf coast because another story that that bob had told me is you know like the first time they ever played florida gulf coast it was like 20 to 1 and then all of a sudden a couple years down the road, you have Emory Riddle pulling off upsets against FGCU. The year before I came, they went down to Fort Myers and played and lost like 20 to 1 and 18 nothing, I think. And I think Bob took the players in the locker room and was like, remember this moment in a couple years, we're going to come back and we're going to beat these guys. It's just we're building blocks. He always brought up we're building a legacy. We're building a legacy for the club and for the school. And so um, my freshman year, we didn't play against them. But my sophomore year, we ended up playing against them. And they come in for a series. It was uh, October first kind of series against them of the year and we lose nine nothing on friday night in front of a pretty packed crowd and so we were pretty pretty disappointed in ourselves but also we kind of understood like this team's a lot better than us and so we come out on saturday it's that 4 p.m you know hangover puck drop we get going and we go down three nothing to start and we're like oh god here we go again and so we call a timeout we were like guys you know let's let's not make this another blowout let's just hold our own and try to just get the puck deep get it off the glass and out play a simple game like bob always tells us you know play the body make them uncomfortable and so we come out second period and we end up making it like three two and we're like okay all right and then we end up actually winning five to three and getting an upset and it was our second ever win in the schc and we were just it was you see the celebration we had it's on our youtube channel it's like we thought we just won the stanley cup because we were like holy cow we just beat these guys and we have like no idea and so there's a rumor going around that FGCU actually cut a bunch of players after that game and they were so like in shock of what happened but uh, I have to give a big shout out to my old roommate Max Minervini he uh, was our goalie freshman through senior year and he just stood on his head I think he took like 65 shots that game or something and he just he won that game for us 100% uh, it could have been a 10 nothing game if he hadn't been in net for us. And so it was really fun to see how the team grew from, you know, freshman year when we were beating teams like FIT and Flagler 15 to nothing, but also losing 15 to nothing on the other end against your Tampa's and your Florida Gulf Coast. So the legacy building was really awesome there. And then we ended up playing them again junior year. We ended up playing them in the SCHC playoffs and lose 3-2 in overtime for a spot in the finals. We remembered that and we saw them two weeks later at regionals. And so we beat Georgia Tech the, the day before to make the game to make to go to nationals. We're going against Florida Gulf Coast. We know them. They're our rival. We've played against them multiple times. 
And so we kind of just had that same mentality, keep it simple, make them uncomfortable and let's go out and win this. And we ended up winning three to two. And that was our first trip to nationals. And unfortunately I'm wearing the shirt because it's the only, it's the only thing I have for those nationals. We ended up making the 2020 nationals that year after that win. And I think the sh- final shots were like 45 to 20 in favor of Gulf Coast. And so it was really awesome to see how far the team had come. And it was really a full circle moment for a lot of the older guys on the team, especially the seniors that year who had played on that team that lost 20 to 20 to one to them. And so it was really awesome to, uh, like I said, see that legacy that we had built. We need we need to get a banner at the Daytona Ice Arena with that logo on it from Nationals, you know, like participant or something like just a, <laughs> something to recognize it because it's crazy how far, you know, the program had really come. And um, I'm sure you guys wouldn't have mind a trip to uh, to Dallas to go out there. Yeah, 100%. The school actually told us we had a blank check. We could just, you know, do whatever we wanted if we went to, went to Nationals. So it was really awesome to hear that. It was really cool just to um, have that opportunity. It finally put us on the map, I think, in sense of Florida hockey. is like, this is a team that's not to be messed with. It's a hostile environment. We have the best home ice advantage in the in college hockey south. Maybe not with Georgia building that 5,000 seat arena, but at least in Florida for now, it's a unique atmosphere. It's incredible to play in front of those people. I like I said, I can't say more about it, but definitely that trip to nationals would have been a lot of fun. We like to say that we claim the 2020 national championship along with everyone else. We ended up, we were going to go against Air Force Academy, who we actually, we had played in Colorado Springs that year. And then we were going to play Michigan's D3 team. I'm trying to think of the other team that was, oh, Coast Guard Academy was also in our group. So it was kind of a military group in a sense, because we had a lot of guys on ROTC on our team. And so a lot of those guys were really looking forward to playing against Air Force Academy and Coast Guard Academy. We can always say what was going to happen, but uh, it was would have been a lot of fun to go play there and we actually bob with a little bit of the money we had left over bob wanted to do something special for us so he actually bought us rings and they didn't say champion on it but they just say like nationals and so it's kind of fun to have that and you know some people might think it's kind of cringe and yeah sure it might be but it's something that you know that we can put on our desk when we're at work or put in our living room one day and say yep we went to nationals we were part of that team that's awesome what a stand-up guy that is like true because there was a lot of teams that looking back on it as the ACHA expert I think I like your odds in that pool I mean you guys would have gone on a run there I, I could see that happening so I don't mind that one bit let's see we got to talk about sophomore trip to UCF you guys had who who ended up playing goalie in this game I heard this is a good one <laughs> all right so it's uh Friday night we play we play home and homes and so with UCF and so Friday night we play against them it's a close game I forgot if I think we lost we had a couple injuries and we were kind of short on forwards at the time. And so Max Minervini, our goalie, he's my roommate at the time. And I'm, I'm waking up the next morning, you know, a little hungover, you know, and uh, waking up and it's like 930 and I, and my phone, my phone's ringing and it's Bob. And I'm like, Bob never calls me. What's up, Bob? He goes, can you wake up, Max? I need to talk to him. And I'm like, uh oh, this doesn't sound good. I wake up and I go over to Max's room and Max sleeps into like 1130. And so I'm like banging on his door. I'm like, yo, like, wake up. Coach is calling you. And he's like, uh, okay. So he picks up the phone, calls Bob, and he walks out 10 minutes later and he goes, do you have any player gear that I could borrow? And I'm like, what? And Max is a referee, so he knows how to skate really well, but it's the stick skills and the and the, the mental, like the, the positioning for him that's kind of tough. And I'm like, are you skating out? And he goes, yeah, Bob just called me up to skate out. We're like short foot forward, so he wants me to play. And I'm like, power to you, man. Let's do this. And so we found a, I think also the Navy ball was that night for the for the, for the Navy RTC program. And so a lot of the, our players were Marine Corps and Navy RTC, and so they couldn't make it. We ended up getting the gear of one of our defensemen, Wyatt Ebner, who was a Navy RTC, and he let uh, Max borrow his gear. So Max has his own skates, but is borrowing all this gear. And it was just so funny to watch him go out in warmups and kind of skate around. And, you know, he's kind of just like looking around at us and I'm like, what? And he's like, I don't know where to go. 
I don't know what to do. I just go to the net and take shots. Like, what do I do? I'm like, well, just, just follow me. Like, we'll, we'll get you going. And so there's a really funny video that uh, Ryan Knapp, my old roommate I mentioned earlier, uh, has of him just kind of like looking around, kind of like, what's, what's going on? And Max grew up playing hockey in Orlando. His family was out there watching him skate out. And it was really fun to have him. And uh, Bob started him on the first line with me and uh, Ryan Mark. It was really fun to watch Max try and uh, skate out. And he actually ended up uh, having a two-on-one where he hit the post. And so it was really fun to like, it was like, would have been the most incredible incredible moment if he would have scored. Um, we ended up, I think we ended up losing like 2-1 too. So it was like a close game and it would have been the difference, but it was really funny to watch him skate out against UCF. And I think we ended up playing uh, Mitch Kim, one of our other good friends from that freshman class ended up playing in that, that game. But it was a really, really funny experience to have your goalie skate out, especially since a lot of the UCF guys knew Max also from growing up playing with them. And they were like, what are you doing out here? What are you, you skating out? And he's like, yeah, I honestly have no idea what I'm doing. But you know, Max would come to me at the end of shifts and be like, so am I supposed to be like on the boards on the breakout or just kind of floating and I was like well I floated the red line that's my job you you should go in there and, and get the puck for me <laughs> it's funny too because I, I think I don't know if it was last year or the year before Michigan's NCAA team had some issues where they had the flu going around and they had to dress their third string goalie skating out and he was doing the same thing in warm-ups he was just basically just like skating back and forth on the red line because he didn't know what to do yeah 100 when that happened we sent it to Max we're like dude it's you <laughs> And you mentioned Max was an official too. Like, how did you get into officiating? Like, is that something that you started doing when you got to college and then wanted to continue doing afterwards? I officiated a little bit in New Mexico in high school. Just I do here and there. Not nothing much, really. I did it for a year. Didn't really vibe with it that much. Was kind of struggling with it. And so not a lot of games rough in New Mexico. Max, when I became roommate to them, was like, hey, you want to make some extra cash? They need refs. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll do it. It's a little extra ice time. That's fun. When I sophomore year of college, started refing again taking it pretty seriously, ended up moving my way up and just doing like travel and high school. And then um, later on down, down the road, when I was flight instructing, I moved to Grand Forks, North Dakota and uh, was instructing at the University of North Dakota. And that's a huge hockey town. I had all my ref stuff and was really excited to get going up there. And so I actually started, ended up refing ACHA D2 up there and uh, doing a lot of games for like University of North Dakota's club team, uh, University of Minnesota Crookston. That is an incredible program, by the way. They have a really, really sweet setup. Uh, shout out to those guys. It, they they were really fun. They had a really professional setup. And as a refs, it was always great to ref them. Did a lot of games for uh, U Mary, North Dakota State, stuff like that. And so my re- officiating career kind of took off when I was in North Dakota, uh, doing a lot of high level stuff up there. Ended up doing a tier one AAA tournament up there. Teams like North Star Academy, Bishop Kearney, and a couple uh, prep schools from Canada. And so that was really fast hockey. And it really uh, introduced me to uh, a lot of those high level officiating opportunities. And so when I moved back to Florida for uh, my job in the airlines, I ended up uh, picking up with Ross Cromaldi, ended up talking with him and I'm starting to do a lot more CHS games now and, you know, lining games here and there. And I'm actually getting to ref my first couple next weekend. So I'm really looking forward to it. And, you know, maybe one day uh, doing uh, AAU nationals or ACHA nationals would be a, would be a, just a pleasure to do and just get involved higher up with the officiating and uh, CHS. Maybe we can work out a deal where um, you go as our patched official. You can just wear like the hockey house pod logo on your Jersey. And they're like, what is, uh, what is Uzi doing out there? And he's like, Oh no, he's just, uh, the boys, he's the the boys ref. Like he's just out there to be boys with everyone. Like, dude, hundred percent, hundred percent. That's what I would do. I I remember I go went up to you Mary's bench. They were getting ready to go to nationals last year, and I was just like, you boys ready? You guys excited to go to Boston? Like, I may have cursed them. I was like, you guys ready for a three peat? And they were like, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I gave them the old officials curse. They were really great. I love doing college games. Uh, a lot of refs will say like, oh, I hate it because it's such a jungle and it's such just like a just a gong show. But I love it just because you know I was in their shoes at one point. It's really easy for me to make connections with players 
and uh, do stuff like that. So definitely a lot of fun, and I look forward to officiating more high-level games in the CHS. I've seen some wild games, some wild clips from North Dakota's M2 team. Have you refed any of those games? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I actually played men's league with all their coaches, too. Um, we played for like a local bar in Grand Forks called Bonzers. If anyone knows of Grand Forks, they know about Bonzers. And so played for their men's league team, went 0-18. Love that. But it was super fun to get to know them and play with them and uh, ref their club team. They, It's a different animal up there, especially I feel for the teams that have a D1 team on campus, the club teams that have D1 teams, because it's, it's tough playing, you know, second French horn in the band. I really feel for them. And they, you know, like uh, Tim said, there's no one who loves hockey more than club hockey players. And that's totally true for those guys. Uh, they're there for the love of the game. And it's it was really awesome to make some of those uh, connections up there and ref them too. So it was really awesome to to meet those guys. And like you said, it's, it's definitely a gong show up there, but it's a lot of fun. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. I never had a game, you know, where I was like, I need to get off the ice right now. It was always a lot of just, you know, going with the flow and having a good time and uh, meeting a lot of those guys and, you know, getting their background. Like, you know, what are you, what's your major? What are you going to go do like one day? And a lot of those guys have passions outside the game and it's really awesome to see. It probably gives you a better appreciation for what you had down at Embry Riddle. You know, the only, like you mentioned, you guys are practically the football team on campus and now you're going up to some of these North Dakota schools that have teams on campus and it's a lot different version of club hockey. Yeah, 100%. It's a lot different. And uh, I, like I said, that like props to them for just like powering through and trying to get, you know, a lot of recognition and stuff like that. And so it's going to be cool to see how much the club game grows in North Dakota with the U Marys and the Minot States. Um, they're getting more club teams at colleges all around North Dakota and, and uh, Northwest Minnesota. And so it's really awesome to see that uh, the game grow up there for them. And, and I got to ask, because you, you've seen both sides of it after you guys go to nationals, like you, you've pretty much lived and breathed ACHA hockey going up and going to New Mexico games. And you know what the ACHA is. You're looking at schools. You go to Embry-Riddle. Like, did it kind of break your heart a little bit when you found out about the CHF? And, and what what is this? We're leaving the ACHA? And I know AAU has, has blossomed into this whole big thing now, but was, was there a lot of confusion at that time? Yeah, it's funny. It was during COVID. And so I'm, I was working as a manager in the student union. That was my part-time job in school, in school. And so I'm sitting there at the desk and I'm just scrolling through Twitter one time and it's downtime. And I just see the CHF tweet out, welcome our new member, Embry-Riddle Hockey. And I'm like, I get on the group chat. And I'm like, boys, we just joined the Fed. They're like, what? I don't know what this, like, we had made fun of the Fed when it first started, the CHF. We're like, what is this? Like, this is stupid. And like, all right, I guess this is what we're going to do now. And so we ended up joining and we played that my fifth year. We ended up playing in the CHF, which is now AAU, obviously. And it was, it was honestly, they treat the players a lot. I'd say a lot better, but they treat a lot of the smaller schools a lot better. And it's really awesome to see how they have grown the game and especially taking a foothold in the South, the CHS. And it's it's really awesome to see. But I remember right after I sent that group chat text, we get a Zoom link randomly from our coach and was like, hey, uh, we need to have an emergency meeting tonight. Everyone like hop in. And we hopped in like, yeah, we're joining the CHF. Like everyone in Florida seems like they're going to be doing it. So we're just going to hop in because we're going to have anyone to play if we don't. And it was like, you know what? As long as we play and fill the seats and stands, like that's all that matters. So it was it was really interesting to see that transition. But the way it's grown in the last just in the last year, just being on the outside looking in now, it's it's awesome to see how the CHS has and this and uh, AAU have built the building blocks that they envisioned back when they were the CHF. It's really cool to see. And I'd, I'd love to get involved one day uh, with the CHS, whether it's with officiating, uh, Department of Player Safety, or on another level in administration, alumni relations, stuff like that, because I think what they're doing is awesome. And I'd love to get involved. 
Well, you, you would definitely be a really good fit. Plenty of experience in your background through the years. So, hey, Uzi, we appreciate you uh, you joining us. Like I said, it's always great to have a, a longtime listener on. We actually, before we go, we got to tell this story because how you ran into my uncle down in Daytona is a wild <laughs> one. Yeah, yes, it was me and Max Minervini. We were ref in men's league. We actually were ref in the championship games. And uh, before the games, there's uh, an adult clinic happening for like uh, for newer players. Your uncle walks in and he like sits down and he's like, hey, boys like obviously you know he is just in like a social butterfly he's always just trying to talk to people and stuff and we're like yeah hey man how are you like good to talk to you he's like hey you guys play for Embry Riddle we're like yeah yeah like we love it he's like yeah club hockey's great we're like yeah yeah and we're like yeah we we listen to this podcast that they're really good with it's called the hockey house it's good he goes yeah yeah my my nephew uh knows like a lot about club hockey and we're like oh like that's cool like does he play he goes yeah he plays at Syracuse and me and Max kind of looked at each other and we're like is is this the same? Is this is this Murph? He goes, "Yep, yep, Mackenzie Murphy." And we're like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> we're like, "Yes, we listen to him every week." We're like, "Yes, we know who that is." And he's like, "No way, that's awesome." He goes, "I've always tried to get him to come play for Embry Riddle. You guys have such a good program." We're like, "Well, we'd love to have him sometime." And we finally got you down, and you got to experience it. So it was really cool the connection that we made there. Yeah, and Uncle John, he was up in his cabin in Maine for the summer too when we went down there. So it was a bummer that he wasn't able to see me in action down at, at, in Daytona, but we had a great time. And like I said, thank you so much for coming on. A great story too, because I feel like your whole life, there's it, been club hockey. Like a lot of people don't realize club hockey is an option until they're 18, 19 years old. And then it kind of goes away. But you've also, you grew up with it and now you're staying involved with it, which is great to see. Yeah, hundred percent. I knew I was going to the ACHA when I I came I came out the womb in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I was like, "Well, club hockey's for me." <laughs> All right, it's time for our burgers of the week, where we talk about the biggest blowouts in the ACHA and AAU college hockey. Got two burgers this week. They're both coming from Pelham, Alabama. It was the debut of the Alabama women's hockey program. A twenty. 20- to nothing thumping over their rivals Auburn they followed up with an 18 to 1 victory the next day Alabama women making a statement in their first two games in program history I was shocked when I saw the final score here I had to do a double take I had to text some people at Alabama and be like is this real you had Alabama out there who their jerseys are are on their way they're coming in and so they're wearing Alabama practice jerseys with numbers taped on the back and they are just giving it to the Auburn Tigers on the other end of the ice 20 to nothing was the final in this one we had talk about fists flying earlier between Delaware and Pitt. There were some fists flying towards the end of this one as well, and the, the Auburn ladies had just truly had enough. This was a wild one, though. First game in program history, a lot of hype around this one. I'm sure they maybe expected to stumble a couple times early on, but wanted to you know, hats off to the Alabama team for not only spending the first semester recruiting girls to to get the team together, recruiting coaches. I know they have a couple of the boys from the Alabama AAU team who are, are coaching the team. They clearly know what they're doing because of 20 to nothing and 18 to one victories. Those are our burgers of the week. That brings us to our games to watch this week. We start things off with a pair of Thursday night matchups. We'll go down to Arizona for this first one. We're at Mullet Arena where number 25 GCU takes on their crosstown round. Arizona State this one like I mentioned at Mullet Arena GCU has had the Sun Devils number so far in ACHA M1 play this year they've actually invaded Arizona State a couple times the last time these two teams met they played on the side rink at Mullet Arena and it was packed with GCU fans so I'm sure this one will be another uh, sea of purple in the crowd as they face off against ASU another big Thursday night matchup in ACHA M2 action 
University of Providence, a team with a big rebound season so far. They're taking on the number one team in the West, Montana State. This one from the Great Falls Iceplex. Like I mentioned, huge turnaround for UP. Looking to move up in the rankings and hopefully get an auto bid in the West for ACHA Nationals. Friday night, we go to one of the best matchups we have. Liberty taking on Adrian College at La Haye, two of the top dogs in ACHA M1. Liberty 5, Adrian 2, Star Wars weekend at La Haye is always a big one. Sticking with ACHA action on Friday night, University of Notre Dame taking on Purdue, and number a top 20 matchup at Compton Family Ice Arena in M3 action. A Nationals rematch. Remember, Purdue beat Notre Dame on St. Patrick's Day last year at Nationals in Marlboro. And then Friday night, switching over to AAU action in D2. Number one, FAU taking on number two, Florida. This one from the Florida Panthers, Ice Den. A Florida matchup to determine the best team in AAU D2. And then sticking with College Hockey South, we're going to go over to Tennessee, where Tennessee takes on Vanderbilt. Tennessee ranked number two in AAU D2, taking on a surging Vanderbilt team at number 17. Flipping things over to Saturday, we have a couple more ACHA M2 games. First, number seven, Denver taking on number two, MSU Denver, a crosstown Denver rivalry between two teams looking to make some noise before the regular season comes to an end. MSU Denver currently sitting in a spot to get an auto bid to Nationals, and they are going to have a tough test against their crosstown rivals, the Pioneers. And then Saturday, we also have Florida Gulf Coast taking on Northeastern, two of the top teams in ACHA M2. You have the best team in the Southeast taking on the best team in the Northeast, and they are going head-to-head at Hertz Arena down in Fort Myers. And then to close things out on Saturday, we have a big matchup in M2 Adrian College taking on Trine on senior night for Adrian. Some honorable mention games this weekend. Purdue Northwest and Roosevelt playing each other outdoors on Friday night at Bulldog Park. A nice little outdoor game between the two teams. Friday night, too, we have Ohio versus Iowa State. A top 25 matchup. Ohio comes into this one at number six and Iowa State at number 21. Holding on to that top 25 spot, the Iowa State Cyclones are. But some CSCHL embers have given way to a flame. These two teams do not like each other. They haven't played in a while, and they're going to go toe-to-toe at Bird Arena on Friday night. We have AAU D2 action. You have UCF taking on USF, the war on I-4. Friday night, we have Adrian College taking on Indiana Tech in women's one action. We have a big New Hampshire matchup. Keene State hosts UNH on Friday night. And then Saturday, University of Minnesota taking on Minnesota Crookston, a nice little Minnesota rivalry at 3M Arena. And then to close thing out, our last honorable mention on the list, Montana State making the list again. They are taking on University of Montana at the Hayes Pavilion in the Brawl of the Wild blackout game for the Grizz. And that brings us to our game of the week. Monday night, Acha, the number eight team in the Southeast, ACHA M2, NC State Ice Pack taking on their rivals, the number six team in the Southeast, University of North Carolina Tar Heels. This one coming to you from PNC Arena, a rematch of the Governor's Cup. They are dubbing this one the Carolina Classic, which I appreciate. I appreciate a little integrity there. They've already handed out the Governor's Cup trophy. So if they want to do another one at PNC Arena, they're going to come up with another name. This one's going to be the Carolina Classic. The season series is tied one-to-one. NC State won the first game five-to-four in overtime on home ice at a Misaline Arena. UNC won the second, a five-to-three decision. For the Governor's Cup earlier this year, the two teams will meet on Friday night. Once again, an Invisalign Arena, and then they will end the season series at PNC Arena on Monday night. We are treated to a rare Monday night game in the Acho, which we don't get often, which will be good. This will be game of the week, the marquee game 
to watch. We had a tough week as a group picking games last week, going 0 and 4, but bounce back week for the boys. Fitzy, I'll throw it over to you first because we haven't gotten to have your pick live in a while. So, NC State, UNC, these two teams have been in the headlines a lot in the last couple of years in the ACHA. Who are you going with on Monday night to close out the season series? I've always had a soft spot for NC State ever since we've started the pod. I think they were one of like the first teams that I kind of really fell in love with when I we started covering going with the Tar Heels. They helped me win Jersey Madness. They're going to get it done. I don't know. Just there's something to uh to that those powdered blue jerseys. A little bit of a an X factor, an it factor, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I'm taking the Tar Heels. It's going to be a close one though. Collins, you know, you know a lot about the powder blue and navy, you know, those two colors that go together. Like, are you leaning towards UNC this weekend? What are your thoughts? Game of the week matchup. I will be leaning towards UNC. However, this is entirely dependent on if either NC State wears alternate threads or UNC wears alternate threads. If UNC wears alternate threads, I think they're going to lose. And same thing with NC State because you never want to play your rival wearing a third jersey rep the staples rep the classics so i will be rolling with unc what's not to love about those jerseys that i'm picking solely based on jerseys this could go either way i'm so torn because just like last weekend you have to factor in the friday night game the two teams play each other friday night Invisalign Arena, that place is going to be sold out. A lot of red and black in the stands for the ice pack. I find it hard to believe that UNC would lose that game. I feel like I, I want to take NC State in that one and then lean towards UNC. That's what I'm thinking. If I'm proven wrong, I'm proven wrong, but I'm going to go with my gut on this one. I am also going to pick UNC for the Carolina Classic at PNC Arena. I just got to say, we won't know the result until we're recording next week on Monday night. Live reaction, maybe. Mm, we might have to do a, a, a watch party for that one, or uh, maybe we can get a, a stream going. We could do a live pod. Now that Herm is smiling while editing this right now, thinking about yeah. us doing a live stream watch party for this game. That would be unbelievable. But certainly, if we can't do a live show during the game, we can do a post-game debrief, or maybe we'll record on Tuesday night. I would imagine, Herm, I would love, while you're editing this, maybe you could chime in and, and insert your pick, and, and maybe he's going to make us look silly and go with the ice pack and and try to dunk on us or maybe it's a, a, a clean sweep the other way but we won't find out until this one drops on friday morning we'll turn it over to our question of the week collins lacrosse guy i played lacrosse in high school myself was catching up after my sunday night pickup game we were watching the nfc championship game it was coming down to the wire one of the guys next to me mentioned that he recently got certified to officiate college lacrosse and he was telling me about some of the rule changes in the college lacrosse this upcoming year and he mentioned one that that caught my eye there is a new rule proposed in ncaa lacrosse i, I have the rule book right in front of me here it says that if a player's helmet comes off they have to go off the field and they cannot return to play until the next dead ball after the restart of play. I don't see it in the rule book, but the guy mentioned it to me that there were certain rules about uh, when an offensive player's helmet comes off, they get sent off. But if a defensive player has their helmet knocked off, they actually get a penalty because they are worried about the trend of people not wearing their helmets properly. And if you're a defensive player in lacrosse, you're probably not getting hit too often. So guys like to wear the helmets really loose. They like to have the tilt. And I feel like this is something we've seen in hockey, specifically college hockey, high school hockey, where guys are wearing cages. And, and Fitzy, you can mention it too. But I feel like in the pros, it's a little more likely that the helmet comes flying off because you don't have the, the extra straps. You just have the chin strap. I'm curious, is this a rule that you guys would like to see in college hockey? I think there's probably already a rule about that if the helmet comes off, you have to go off or the whistle gets 
gets blown dead. What would you maybe like to see the ACHA or AAU college hockey do to help enforce guys wearing their helmets properly? Because you guys know as much as I do, like it seems like every game there's somebody losing their helmet off of a clean hit that is not just like somebody getting blown up in, in a once in a blue moon thing where they lose their helmet. Fitzy, I'll throw it over to you first, but like, do you think that there should be more enforcement on players wearing their helmet properly? I I like it. I wouldn't wouldn't mind it. I I know I kind of sound like the oh the adult here, but it comes down to like you lose your helmet, you get your head on the ice, and you know serious stuff could happen. I know obviously stuff with uh, the neck guards. It takes an accident for something to happen, so I think it would be it would be smart to kind of be proactive about it. And I never understood the whole cage hang thing. It was just like so much stuff. A stick could come up there, a puck could come up there, and it blows my mind. So yeah, I don't know how you would enforce like obviously give out penalties or something, but I don't know if that's necessarily the right avenue because i i feel like it's unfair to punish the team but maybe that's the the correct deterrent that would work maybe punish the player to where he gets suspended that also punishes the team if it's a good player so it's a tough one to figure out but i definitely think that it'd be smart to be proactive about it and, and do something i think it should be a delay of game penalty if your helmet comes off too easily and maybe not necessarily during play i think it's a game misconduct if you grab somebody's cage and pull i feel like that is where we see a lot of helmets come off after the whistle but if it's during the play and it's a routine hit or or, you know, you fall, maybe even you get high sticked and that comes off like I would like to see a delay of game penalty there because it's like you obviously are not wearing your helmet properly. We don't want to have to stop the game for your helmet coming off. Like, let's give a delay of game penalty there. Collins, I know it's a little different for you because people never stand understand the rules. What happens when a goalie's helmet comes off? But like, would you as a lacrosse guy, you've seen when helmets come off too? like, what are your thoughts on maybe stricter helmet rules in hockey? At least with lacrosse, if it's a similar situation to the Bucky hang, as the kids are calling it, where the tilt is just getting out of control, where you have guys, maybe they're seeing halfway. The, the helmet is covering half of their eyes. Like they can't see anything. Unfortunately, it leads to some kids just getting absolutely blown up because they cannot see uh, a defenseman like coming at them when they're going for a ground ball. The helmet comes off super easy. And I had my helmet, you know, I had a crazy amount of tilt, but I had the right amount. But I was a goalie like I could take my helmet off without having to undo the straps at all. But at least from the hockey perspective, uh, you know, as a goalie, if my helmet comes off, it's an immediate dead whistle because obviously nobody wants to get hit in the face with a puck. My original thought with this was like, you can't like measure the amount of hang. I guess maybe you could kind of eyeball it like they do with lacrosse with pockets. Like maybe you can't go more than one inch past your chin on the hang. You know, what if it's just a, a two minute minor, but you go to five on five. It's kind of a weird rule. It happened this weekend versus Canisius. One of my teammates just blew up a kid cracked his bubble and the thing was just like dangling and you know he had just so much space he was grabbing his jaw you know it's it's not fun you know when you take a big hit like that you know it's it's not there to to protect you it's just one more thing that's going to hurt you i got to tell the story because it was the you know i got to college and immediately took off my ear guards immediately had cage hang and was like this is so sick. This is college hockey. One of the last practices before the first game of the season, we're doing one of those drills where it's like a flow drill to start practice. Classic like high low, like one corner goes all the way to the far blue line. Other corner goes near blue line. I'm just standing in line. I'm the first person in line or I, like I'm next up to do the drill. Puck gets rimmed around the glass and just drills me in the ear. I swear I can't hear anything for 10 minutes. I'm contemplating if I'm deaf or not. Like it, it is just like whale noises in the ocean is all I can hear out of one side of my head. And I was like, oh my, I was like, what if it never goes back? Like what, what if? And so immediately, and again, I was keeping my stuff at the rink 
in a locker. I grab my helmet and I go back to my dorm room and sitting on my desk are my ear guards that I'd taken off earlier in the week. Put those things right back in because I was like, I am not getting hit in the head again. And then, of course, I got older in college and I was like, I want sty. I'm taking these out again. So I, I clearly did not learn my lesson. But funny story about cage hang. We were playing at NYU. We were playing at Chelsea Piers, tight rink low ceiling, small neutral zone, just a a battle, like a very physical game, fast game. And it was getting chippy. And one of the guys on our team, Chris Bruner Grande, he got hit in front of the NYU bench and his cage came up and he just sliced his chin on the dasherboard when he came down. I immediately, like the first thing I do on the bench is take off my gloves and like tighten up the straps on my helmet. Cause I'm like, I like my chin in one piece. I'm going to, I'm going to tighten this thing up. I was like, I don't care how silly I look in this game. That's not going to happen to me. So that that's my story. And the poor guy, he had like the thickest beard. They had to like shave a spot so that they could give the stitches. And then he couldn't shave for like a month. And he's like the kind of guy who like shaves in the morning and has a five o'clock shadow by noon. And so he had like the biggest beard, especially now, like coaching youth hockey, when kids have obsessive cage hang, I'm like, dude, you do not, you do not want you to, to split your chin like that. And, you know, nowadays too, like you, I could get your teeth, I could get your nose. And some of the people listening to this probably think we are so soft right now. Rick from Red Deer, listen to Spit and Chicklets. We got Marty and Minot who's punching his steering wheel right now, listening to how soft we're being right now. So we'll, uh, let's end this on a high note though. Cause I, I have a question for you guys, because I'm sure you guys have seen the memes about dudes can literally just sit around and name pro athletes, right? Like I'm sure you guys have just like been in a hockey group chat where like guys are just firing off NHL players who played between 08 and 2014. And you could just do that all night. But once a month, me and my friends in, in the group ch- text, we just talk about like goal horns, you know, who has the best goal horn in the NHL. And it's always like a debate because, you know, certain goal horns that I think are annoying in the NHL, other people think are good. Certain goal horns that I think are good, people don't like. So I'm watching the Bruins and Ottawa Senators the other night, and the Senators scored a tied up late. And I'm like, oh, like the Sens kind of have a sick goal horn. Like I like the loud, high pitched train horn. So I want to ask you guys, like, what what is your favorite favorite NHL goal horn? Like, if you were gonna pick one, who are you going with, Fitzy? I'll throw it over to you. Easy, Tampa Bay. See, like that's one that I, I, I wouldn't even think of like Tampa Bay and, and you got to give bonus points because they have like the lightning bolts go off when they score too. But that's a, that's another one. And it's like kind of iconic because they've gone on so many cup runs. Collins, I'll throw it over to you. Like Washington's got a pretty iconic one with the sirens. Like, is that what you're going with? Yeah, I was kind of racking through my brain and like, I love the Bruins goal horn. I love the Panthers goal horn just because Jimmy Eat World is sick. So I would make this more specific. Just the horn. No, just song, the horn. Just the horn. We're, we're talking horns here. We, we, yeah. Okay. I got to rep my home team. I got to rep the caps. I mean, it's a very divisive goal horn because it is not traditional at all. I mean, there's nothing quite like it when you're in that arena and just hear these just wailing sirens. It's pretty cool in person, but I can imagine listening to it on the NHL video games or on the broadcast, it does get annoying. The reason I ask this too is because I was watching the clip of the overtime goal. Hope defeated Grand Valley State in overtime, a one nothing shutout win for the Flying Dutchman. I'm convinced that they had a live goal horn there because, you know, like some teams, they just play like the recording of the horn and it's like two horns and then it cuts to the goal song. But at Hope the other night, they had like the classic NHL playoff overtime goal where the guy just hits the horn button like 17 times. If you guys go back and watch the clip we posted from Hope the other night, listen to the audio because it, literally the whole clip
clip, the horn is going off in the background. I was like, that's good hockey. It wasn't a playoff game, but it was a home OT goal and you just need to hit the horn as much as possible. So that's how I want to end it. Love a good goal horn conversation because like I mentioned, dudes can literally just sit in a circle and talk about good goal horns. And it, again, you want to even expand. You can talk about good goal songs and we could talk about this for hours, but we appreciate every one of you who have listened this far and enjoyed our goal horn conversation. Another exciting week of hockey ahead of us in AAU college hockey and ACHA action. So thank you so much for tuning in. We'll keep giving you guys the best coverage we can and we will see you next week. See you boys. Yeah.